am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jake Richardson, and this is Legendary Mindset. I just returned from the airport a little bit ago. I was in Walton, Indiana all weekend, and I got to do a commentary for a virtual show put on by Walton Webcasting, and it was called the California Corona Classic. And I didn't really know what to expect when I got up there. I, you know, I figured I was just going to sit there and... I thought I was going to sit next to the judge and we we're going to, you know, talk about all the sheep. But the way they had it set up was really cool. Uh, it was, I guess, the closest thing you could get to a real show. They had the judge in his own room and he got to look at four videos of four different sheep right there next to each other, you know, just like a, you know, normal judging class. And he placed them and he, and he just placed them over and over again. And then they had just did a bracket system until you had the grand reserve. But it was really cool. I thought those, you know, the opportunity it gave the, all those kids to show those animals was was really awesome, and, and the way that they had it set up just flowed really good. It was easy to watch, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, really good experience. So I'm sitting here in my house um, Sunday, May 24th. podcast comes out tomorrow. There's a big thunderstorm outside, and I'm listening through Steve's podcast before I record his intro, and I have, I have a smile on my face the entire time. Uh, doing this with Steve was really fun. The guy's got crazy stories, and most of them you know, will make you gut laugh. I, before I um, recorded, I, I, I messaged and texted a few of his old 4-H judging kids and asked them for stories and, and that we could tell. And although we didn't tell a lot of them, um, you know, the guy just has a, an incredible life, an incredible heart. Uh, he get, he's very raw and doesn't hold back at all in this podcast. I'm excited for you guys to listen to it. It was a joy to record. Here's Steve Sturtz. And as you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram, Legendary Mindset Pod, as well as our Facebook page, Legendary Mindset with Jake P, for more content every week. This is Legendary Mindset with Jake P. Listen to a lot of Grand Drive speeches from you and... I always hear Iowa boy. You you born and raised in Iowa? Which part? Uh, Central Iowa, Gilman, Iowa is where I was raised. A little town of 500 people, uh, between Grinnell and Marshalltown. Um, not much claim to fame there. Just uh, southeast Marshall County is what our school was called. So. What was the like local commodity? Uh, we, we were a lot of farming. You know, it was just farming. It was a small. They had a local grain elevator co-op there. We were a small, I guess, Division Two, Two A, whatever school, and um, we were uh, a town that had 300 people in it. That was seven miles away. Uh, was where the elementary school, a little community called Laurel, and then Gilman had the high school. And Gilman and Laurel together was called Southeast Marshall County. And to show how small it was at the time, uh, our biggest. Uh, uh, rivalry was with uh, LDF, which was LeGrand, Dunbar, and Ferguson, was three small towns put together in a con- consolidated school. And to this day, now it is one school called East Marshall, and it's LeGrand, Dunbar, Ferguson, Gilman, and Laurel all in one school. So, so they had to combine. They combined with the school that we actually used to be our our uh, biggest rivalry with, especially in sports. Now so. you're in class with them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what did mom and dad do when you were growing up? Um, so I was I was born in Iowa. My dad was in uh, uh, the banking business when I was real young, and then we moved to Wisconsin. He worked for Wisconsin Physician Services, 
and my mom actually was a, a teacher what she went to school for and then she uh, was running a place called Colonial Club in Sun Prairie Wisconsin we moved to Sun Prairie Wisconsin he worked out of Madison and then my mom it was basically a retirement community that she was the director for and uh, she was real good with all people kids and older people especially but good with them and then we moved back to Gilman uh, I was uh, uh, I guess sixth grade my dad had the opportunity to come back and work with his brother we moved back to Gilman he actually moved back before us and we got back and uh, moved in semester and we weren't there long and he was killed in an uh, automobile accident and so uh, we uh, I was raised by my mother from then on she never as far as I know she never dated anybody she may have she never just never told me nobody she kept it she in a small town she'd probably uh, (laughs) I'd have probably found out but (laughs) but she uh, she raised me and my brother and uh, we uh, lived there in Gilman and she was a school teacher in Grinnell which is um, oh, about 10 12 miles away I guess 14 miles away from Gilman she was a home economics teacher uh, there and uh, pretty much dedicated her life to teaching and to me and my brother so there you go it's Mother's Day today yeah so yeah shout out to Mrs. Sturtz yeah yeah um, so I know your your big livestock guy now was was livestock a big part of your life back then or or were you guys kind of not involved or well farming and livestock in that community was a part of your life whether you lived in town or not because yeah. usually summer jobs that's where you worked I uh, my mom's family had land and my mom had land but my dad wasn't a farmer and and we were the only one of she had uh, she was the oldest. And she had uh, three sisters and a brother, and they all were involved in farming and had farmland and actually farmed, and we didn't. So I worked for my uncles, particularly my Uncle Rick uh, had a farm there in Gilman, and I worked for him, you know, nights, weekends, summers. And then uh, I had a best friend named Mike McMeekin, and uh, Mike's family lived over in Laurel, and they were big hog farmers and grain farmers, and so... As I got older, I worked for them uh, quite often. Um, my uncle Rick had a little grove between two places, and I decided that I wanted to raise some sheep for a 4-H project, and that's that was my first uh, dabble into uh, sheep and, and livestock. And we bought some from a guy. There was a guy named Craig Van Arkel, and then uh, Stephen and uh, Janice Lovig, raised some and they were mostly uh purebred type breeders you know they had papers and all that and weren't the weather type of course i was young and my uncle uh didn't know anything about it but he was willing to do anything for me to help me out and and thank god he was because that's kind of what got me started in it and so i raised some in his barn and i'd haul hay for him and i'd work hogs and then i'd work for my my good friend as I got older uh, for his family working hogs and then I started dating Shelly McArath and uh, her dad Harold McArath was uh, one of the most successful sheep guys up in that area they lived in Laurel there and that's where I kind of really started gaining an interest and thinking hey I'd like to do a little better and uh, have a little more success doing this and so got involved with them. What kind of sheep were like? I guess I guess better question. What year was it? Was it 
Well, I was uh, I graduated in 1983, a long, long time ago. So were they club lambs, or were they still kind of like they, purebred Suffix? Th- mine were purebred Suffix, but Macarass were raising club lambs, and they were they were putting some hamp into them, very little. And of course, the hamp back in those days wasn't like the hamp today. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they uh, they were very successful. They won state fair after state fair, and. Them and the Dales were, were always very oh, competitive yeah. up there, and the Dales lived close to Grinnell, and so I knew Jerry and, and Brad well from that. And uh, so it was uh, it was them, basically them and the Dales would, would fight it out most of the shows. And uh, me and my brother, my brother wasn't really into it at all. He did it because I wanted him to, and we were always at the other end of the line standing last and hoping we could figure out a way to get up towards mm-hmm. the front so <laughs> so when you went to start figuring out how to get towards the front did you you know pick one of those guys and kind of pick their brain or follow them around or who were... well i went to i, I watched harold a, a whole lot and, and watched what they were doing and i would go to sales with sam his son and, and him and, and of course uh sarah actually was dating sarah and shelly were twins and sarah was actually dating my best friend mike mcmeekin and he wasn't involved in in the sheep at all but we, we would go to sales and go to shows, and I would meet people. I met Keith Berry, uh, Jason Wattenville, you know, a lot of those guys. There was an old guy named Marv Seacrest, and then, you know, Alan Candy Schminky and, and those type people, and, and just got to see a lot that way. I would go on some road trips uh, at times with, with them and, and look at sheep and and uh, get interested that way but basically didn't have the money to buy the good ones and do what i needed to do to raise them and just kind of raise my own and and enjoyed the idea of raising something and having it grow up and you know at least go to market if nothing else if it didn't win a blue ribbon that wasn't the goal at the time you know it's more commercial yeah just just like a hobby farm yeah activity exactly so uh when did you leave Iowa? Was it for college or? Later well, on? no, actually. Uh, so I was. Uh, I went to Marshalltown Community College for two years. I wanted to be a veterinarian, mm-hmm. and wanted to go to Iowa State. And my grades probably weren't good enough. Probably, somewhat because I didn't see the use in them being having A's. I just thought if you could get B's and C's and get by, why not just go with that way, you know? And so anyway, I had the opportunity to play baseball at Marshalltown Community College and pay for a little bit of my school and and uh it ended up being uh it was a good time but it was a mistake because i was right there at home and i had all my old friends and then i had new friends and and uh i was working for some veterinarians out of grinnell and that's about the time the cattle market busted and they basically told me if I didn't want to stick sugar pills down parakeets in New York City that the veterinarian business wasn't a good business to go in. Really? But, but it really hit it hit hard. And and they they didn't say it that way. I may be adding be a, a little bit to it, it, but they were they were concerned about their livelihoods. There was four of them in a clinic and it was a big clinic and and when it went bad it, they were they were real concerned about it and, and I didn't particularly like the small animals. I liked the dogs, but I wasn't. I don't like cats at all, and wasn't into birds for sure. Mm-hmm. So I just uh, I thought, well, well, what am I going to do? And there was a school up uh, to Waterloo, Iowa, Hawkeye Tech, and at the time Bob Kim was the instructor there, and Bob probably judged as many national shows as any of these guys back in the day. 
and then there was a guy named Al Snediger that was the hog portion of it. And so when I decided that going to Iowa State and going to vet school probably wasn't in the cards, I thought, well, I'll go to junior college and I'll learn something about sheep. And I did a little bit of livestock judging in high school, but it wasn't it wasn't big then. And we had to go all the way to state center. There's a guy named Kelly Bison that was teaching and it was more of a district type thing than it was a county type thing even yeah. at that point and we didn't have much ffa in iowa so it was 4-h and and i hated talking reasons i just i just hated it and so i would try every way and I, I would love to go to the practices where we didn't talk reason but we had to reason talk reasons i was just out i didn't yeah. want nothing to do with it and i probably missed a few practices because i thought i made something up to do something else because i didn't want to talk reasons but uh, anyway, I thought, well, I want to live, judge livestock. Yeah, I'm getting a little more where I didn't mind talking as much. And, and uh, Bob was uh, very well known for, for being a great sheep person and Al for a good hog person. And they had a, a good livestock judging team. You know, they weren't the Black Hawk East and the NEOs that we had to go against, but they had, they had good teams. And so I uh, went up there and I applied for the sheep herdsman job and applied for school up there mm-hmm. and i got the sheep herdsman job and started going to school up there and started livestock judging and uh, i was roommates with sid grinder who's actually a cousin uh to uh um scott scott who is a, a friend of mine and then and now especially but i mean as we get into livestock judging as we get older and we see each other more it's funny how those uh, relationships go full metamorphosis. But um, and then Jamie Searin, who was a big uh, uh, hog producer and still raises some really good hogs, and they were my roommates. And Jamie was also the uh, swine herdsman. So, did you mess around with hogs a whole lot? You know, I messed around. Most of my jobs in livestock were with hogs. My my buddy Mike McMeekin, as I said, he is he was they were big hog farmers and. We spent a lot of time in uh, a lot of confinement areas helping work hogs, move hogs, feral hogs, clean hog pens, all that kind of thing. And so uh, uh, that way I was. As far as the show hog deal, not until I got uh, up into to, uh, being with Al was I um, very well versed or knew much about him. Kelly Bison, you know, taught me a little bit there and you know I, I enjoyed all livestock my, I had cousins that showed cattle and so I was always interested in the cattle part and I had friends that showed hogs and so it was always interesting to me but I was always a sheep I always gravitated towards the sheep the sheep yeah. was the thing I liked the best now when I got to livestock judging I actually won the National Barrow Show uh, junior college livestock judging with hogs uh, and I always told Jamie Searin that it was because I didn't have any uh, preconceived ideas of what a good hog was. Yeah. What Al Snedeker told me was a good hog was a good hog. I didn't have a grandma or grandpa or a buddy that said, oh, no, that one's to this or to that. And yeah. so uh, I listened to Al and what Al told me. And when I went there and judged him, judged him the way Al told me, I, I was successful. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of funny. That's cool. So those junior college coaches will talk about that when they're recruiting kids. You know, you don't need a whole lot of experience. They, they kind of look for work ethic more and – I think if they they can see you as teachable, you know, they can see you as, as a winner. Yeah, and and is uh, when I started being a county agent and having livestock judging kids, 
you have to have an interest and they have to want to work but those kids that have an intelligence and have um, a base that you can work with um, you can get and are willing to learn and willing to listen uh, you can get them a long ways if they have those those kind of attitudes and those kind of work ethic like you say for sure um, so when in college did you study the whole entire time to become a vet or did you change your mind part no part? no when I went to it was strictly animal science and associate degree in animal science and I kind of threw the vet thing out the window at that time and decided you know somewhere production agriculture is where I was going to be uh, didn't even at the time think about county agent ag teacher or anything like that because those weren't really big in iowa and so i was working for uh, i mean i was going to hawkeye tech and bob kim had judged houston and guyer wise i believe had won that year or a couple years before that i guess it was a couple years before that and the steer show or lamb show the lamb show okay and they dr wise was at kansas city and Bob was there, and Dr. Wise was showing there, and Dr. Wise asked Bob if they ever had any interns that came and worked for a work-study type program. And Bob said they did and said, well, he'd like to get somebody down there. You know, what time of year was it and, you know, what kind of, you know, what did he have to do on his end and so on and so forth. So Bob came back to, to Hawkeye Tech, and me and Sid Griner were roommates, and Sid was from a big sheep family. Uh, and he said, would you two be interested in going to Texas for a internship? My, we were both like, yeah, that'd be cool. We're going to go together. You know, that was even let's more go. cool. Yeah, 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 let's go. If you knew Sid, uh, you would know that Sid was up for anything. So, uh, anyway, so we came to, or went to Brownwood, Texas, uh, for a six week internship. What a great place. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It was, it was, it was wonderful to be there and. And it was it was a lot of fun, and it was work. We we, we worked pretty hard, but but uh, it was it was a neat experience. And when we got through, Doctor Wise asked me when I graduated, and I said, "Well, I got a whole another. I think I had another year, year and a half at the time." And he said, "Well, I want to hire you when you get through." And I said, "Well, I'm I'm going to go to Iowa State mm -hmm. because my plan was most likely not to go into vet school, but to get a four year degree in animal science and." And uh, he said, well, uh, I, I, I want to hire you when you get through. Just remember that. Mm -hmm. So anyway, there was times that he'd call and check on me, and there's times that he would, you know, have me come down and help him with certain things when I wasn't busy with school or I didn't have things going on. And I remember Bob Kim calling me into the office, and he said, hey, uh, we're getting ready to do our next internship here in another month or so. Uh, what's your plans? And I said, well, I, I don't really have any. And he said, well, would you want to go to work for Dr. Wise again for six weeks? I said, I really probably need something else on my resume. I mean, I'd love to go work for him, mm -hmm. but I probably need to get diversify a, little bit. diversify a little bit and do something else. And he said, well, what are you going to do for spring break? And it happened that we had like four weeks off. We had a really long spring break because of the way something was maybe three to four weeks off. And, uh, so we had about 10 weeks in there and he said, uh, uh, what are you going to do for spring break? And I said, well, I don't know. I'll probably be working or doing something, you know, working for my buddy or whatever. And he said, well, would you do, what if you did two internships? I said, well, I guess I could. And he said, well, if you go five weeks, uh, one place and then you go five weeks for Dr. Wise, you, you'll have basically three internships. You'll have an extra internship and you'll, get to have that other thing on your resume. He really wanted you to go work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I think Bob wanted him to, me too, and I think Doc wanted me too. So anyway, the way it worked out is uh, there was a hog farmer up, uh, and, and I'm so glad I did this because I learned probably as much that five-week internship with him mm-hmm. as I did the five-week in, internship with Dr. Wise, although my learning from Dr. Wise came through many more years after that. But uh, his name was Roger Bottoma. And he was a single bachelor, probably in his mid-40s, still lived with his mom and dad. His mom and dad still farmed, and they were in their 70s, I promise you. And they had a guy that was about 30 that was uh, their workhand or whatever. And I can remember uh, the, the dad could hardly see, couldn't hardly hear. And I remember we were going to bail hay one day. And I thought, well, how's this going to work? And to me, the hardest job was up in the barn. In, in Iowa in the summer, you know, it's nearly 100, but it's 200% humidity. Yeah, I mean, it's miserable. it's miserable. And so we get over to the field, and Dad's driving the tractor, Grandpa, I guess, for lack of a better way to say it. I was on the hay wagon stacking it. The guy that worked for him was taken to the barn, and the guy that I was working for was up in the barn. Had the worst job as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And I can remember having to holler and go out in front of the tractor to stop Grandpa. Cause, and I remember being almost thrown off of it when he went to start it and grinding the gears to get it going. But, you know, at my age, it was a valuable lesson. It was like, man, if these guys can work that hard and I'm young and I'm out here, no I have no excuses, yeah. none at all. You better just strap them up and go. And so that and then I, uh, the other thing I vividly remember is I can remember going in their house and they'd obviously lived through some of the depression. And I can remember there being mason jars with corn and beans in there. And they were doing the beans. Uh, they were combining beans at one time. And this she would keep when they would, she'd wash clothes. She would take them out of their pockets and put them in those mason jars. And when they were harvesting beans, she would take those mason jars out and dump them in that wagon because that, really? yeah, because she, you know, they weren't going to throw them away. You didn't you throw did anything away. And so, yeah, and so it was it was a, wow. a great experience for me to, to see people live that way. And, you know, you hear about it and you see family that, you know, went through it. And, you know, you always, my mom talked about it a little and I knew my grandpa had talked about it a little bit. But to see a whole other family and to see how they act and react and how they did things, it was it was a great learning experience uh, for sure. So you're there for five weeks, mm-hmm. go back to school, and then you know, once you graduate, where do you go from there? So I'm I'm uh, I'm graduating, and of course Doc's calling, want me to come work for him, and I said, well, I want to finish my four year degree. I'm planning on going to Iowa State, and uh, he said, well, I want I want you to come down here and and look at something. I said, okay, you know, just kind of left it open. And so I flew down, and he had some jobs for me to do and stuff. And then one day he says, I want you to go over to Tarleton State University and talk to a guy named Dr. Ford. And I said, what's Tarleton State University? I'd never heard Mm -hmm. of Tarleton State University. He said, oh, it's a little four-year college over in Stephenville. It's about 60 miles away from here. He said, I'd like you to go talk to him and look at the college and see if you're interested. I said, well, okay, I'll do it. So I go talk to Dr. Ford, and me and him hit it up nice and good. And it's a small college, but they got a nice, you know, ag farm. It's a nice little community, and I'm thinking, you yeah, know, this is all right. But 
still wanted to still warmer than Iowa. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, so. it is. It is. The weather was much better, and so uh, I was. Uh, I guess I was thinking. Uh, well, what? Did, uh, I guess he's going to try to do something with me wanting to go to college here at Tarleton. I'm going to drive back, and sure enough, when I got back. He said, okay, here's the deal. Did you like it? And I said, yeah. And he said, never heard of it, but it was just cool. I liked it. And he said, uh, well, I want you to go to work for me full-time. You can go to school part-time. I'll give you a vehicle to drive. I'll give you a place to stay and a salary that was, uh, at the time, was was really, really good. It doesn't sound like much now. Uh, and uh, would you be interested? And I said, yeah, I'm interested. Let me, let me think about it, and, and uh, I'll get back with you. And uh, I went home and thought about it, and I thought about, you know, being able to basically get through school and have it paid for and, and all that. And there was a part of me that wanted to farm, but my grandpa had kind of put land in a trust for several of uh, the, the – or well, for all the, his kids and grandkids. But my mom sat me down when I decided I wanted to farm, and she said, okay, here's how much farmland – you would be able to farm that's actually ours. All of your other cousins and have uncles that farm, so you're not going to be able to farm any of that. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go out and buy this many dollars worth of equipment. And she obviously had talked to a banker or somebody, and she had it all lined out. And uh, she basically showed me the numbers and, you know, how much I'd have to lease. And uh, I just looked at it, and she said, or you can, uh, you know, continue to own this farmland and get a check every year for cash rent and, you know, do what you want to do and use that for supplemental money. And I was like, well, looks like I'm going to be going to Brownwood, Texas and working for Dr. Wise. Thank and God so, for your mom. yeah, 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 no doubt, no doubt. So, uh, so I came down to, to Brownwood and started working for Doc and uh, running the sheep and go or the sheep. And he did have some Angora goats, but I wasn't involved in them until later. But, uh, uh, fine wool sheep had about a thousand, twelve hundred fine wool ewes, and six to eight hundred blackface ewes from time to time. So, so let's backtrack just a second. So, I want to, I want you to kind of explain who, who Doc was. What did he? What was his job and the things he did? And what, then, like, what was your first impression when you met him? Well, Doc was a, a tall, big guy, bald. Uh, he uh, or not bald, but very thinned hair. And he was very matter of fact, you know, um, I didn't little, you know, until I got to really know him, didn't realize he had a really good sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Uh, very intelligent. He was, a, a, I think he was trained as a thoracic surgeon and I may be wrong on that, but he was basically the emergency room doctor at Brownwood mm -hmm. and, uh, um, just, uh, very, very intelligent. He knew, he knew sheep. I think a lot of people did not understand how much knowledge that man really had of sheep. Mm -hmm. He had been successful showing South Downs back when he showed and won it, had won everything there was to win when he showed. And then his cousin, Joe, Joe Edwise, who ran a bank over in Santa Ana, um, was very successful in it and was a county agent before he went to, to run that bank. And so... Um, I was very impressed with uh, his knowledge. His uh, he, he wanted to win. I mean, he wanted to win. But the thing people didn't understand about it, he didn't have a golf game. He didn't have a hunting deal. He didn't have anything else. That farm and that raising those sheep and raising good quality livestock was a passion that he had. And he, he, he 
was a great doctor and thank goodness because it made him be able to afford to have the hobby he mm -hmm. really wanted to do and you know it doesn't matter you know what profession you're in if you can have that hobby that you got the passion for it, it makes it a enjoyable life yeah. and i think it was for him definitely so he had he was raising some sheep had the angora goats did he have was he involved in show animals he had some kids showing yeah his uh guyer was through she was uh, i think she just graduated after i came down in sheffield Oh, I'm going to say she was, oh gosh, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, 7th, 8th grade probably. Hilton was just a little one, mm -hmm. just a little terror at the time. Um, so so uh, it was, I came at a good time because Guyard left and it's kind of like the changing of the guard and Sheffield was competitive and, and really wanted to do well and she would work at it. And uh, so it was it was fun to come in at that time. So I had responsibilities of uh, kidding, lambing, I guess, not kidding. I'm into the goat mode with my kidding here. But uh, with lambing all the ewes, with, uh, we had several, he had several other people that worked with me. And, uh, and then taking care of all the show animals was the big thing. And going in selection. Now, when he first, when I first came, nearly every sale we went to, Doc and me went together. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was he was buying, and he was we discuss them, but it was probably the first year and a half, maybe even two years. He nearly went to every sale with me, and there's sometimes I would pick him up after his shift at the hospital and emergency room. I'd pick him up at eight o'clock that morning. We'd drive to Rapahoe, Oklahoma, to Cavanaugh's sale or Clinton, and uh, he would sleep the whole way because he'd been up all night in the ER and. But, uh, but we got to know each other real well, and I got to really enjoy um, getting to, to pick his brain, so to speak, on, on what he thought. But then after about two years, and I didn't know this till after his death, uh, I was a pallbearer for him, and his wife, we were talking, and she, uh, she, she said, I got to tell you a, a funny story. And I said, well, what's that? And and I'm probably not going to get it directly how she said it, but to, the gist of it was is that Dr. Wise quit going to the sales, and she didn't. She wondered if I knew why he quit going. And I said, no, I, I, I thought it was funny that all of a sudden he kind of quit going and just would let me go, and I would call him, and I would say, you know, this is what we've got, and this is what I see, this is what I think will work for such and such judge or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he would say, buy them, you know, and 90% of the time he'd just say, buy them. But I wouldn't buy them if I thought I could find one better or if I thought we had one at home that I thought was for the money. Mm -hmm. And she told me that that's the reason he quit going is because he knew he would not quit bidding if it was one we liked, and he knew I would quit bidding. I would stop and say, wait a minute, that's too much money for what that sheet. We can find something somewhere else or try to do so. Um, I thought that was a, a funny uh, little story about why he quit going to the sh the sales, and I and I, I took it as a compliment that he trusted yeah. my opinion and trusted that what I was telling him was right, and that if I didn't buy it, it's because I didn't think we needed it. And thank God, I don't believe any one of those sheep ever beat us at a show, so I I, I got lucky. I guess that would have been the hard thing to explain. Buy them or get beat by them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what? So you guys would go on sheep trips all the time together. Any cool stories or 
Anything went wild that happened? You know, uh, not much wild happened with Dr. Wise. He was pretty matter-of-fact in business. I mean, we had some good times, and and we looked at a lot of sheep, and, and we I know we have some laughs and memories uh, that I'll never forget. But, I, you know, to say there was just a story with me and him buying sheep, uh, it'd probably be more about – uh, you know, not buying one or, or bidding on one that we didn't realize was the, <laughs> the right may, may, maybe not been bidding on the right one because we weren't paying attention or something like that. But but uh, just uh, just amazing the amount of knowledge I gained from, from going to him, uh, to going to work for him. I mean, Bob Kim and Al Snediger and Harold McGrath were, were great as far as uh, – teaching me a basis but the finer things i guess i i really learned from dr wise and then that went over into to the feeding and the exercising and the working them too because he he had a, a much different philosophy in iowa uh harold was winning and he was pretty much you know they had jumps in their pen two by fours basically across panels and the feed would be on one end water on other and they weren't even yeah they weren't even chasing them they might feed them on a ramp or an elevated thing, but no real exercise, nothing. And when I came down to work for Doc, he had dogs to start exercising with, which I thought was cool because I, I had some border collies myself at the time. And so that got me into a whole another realm of, of uh, things to do. Um, but he had, uh, he would, he would sometimes come and knock on my door at 10 o'clock at night, getting back from the hospital or he had a break and he had to go back to the hospital and he'd say, hey, I was talking to the physical therapist. Let's go over the barn. And we'd go over the barn and we'd have a sheep on its back and he'd be pushing it and I'd be feeling the loin. He'd be, I'd be pushing, he'd be feeling the loin. Do you feel anything? Are we working that muscle? You know, are we doing this? And he had so many great ideas. And, and, and I'll have to tell you that there was times I thought, that'll never work, Doc. Mm-hmm. But I could never explain it to him where we didn't have to try it because in his mind when he told you something and the way he explained it to you i knew it wouldn't work but i also knew that we were going to end up trying this deal because he was convinced that it was going to work and it was going to have to be by trial you know we built a a swimming pool type thing not a swimming pool it was like a what, what they used to dip them in a dipping vat type thing to to try to swim them we uh like to do horses yeah yeah we had uh those uh those uh oh, what do they call those things now those tinge machines mm-hmm. he got one of them and we'd put it on the back and try to get those involuntary muscles the, the loin to work and we ultrasounded loins to see how much fat and what the correlation was to a loin being bigger wider thicker we uh we we dabbled with a little bit of anything and everything that he thought might work that we could get a, a competitive edge with it's and very experimental exactly and and it and it made me think outside the box yeah. you know and and uh so it was it was always interesting between feed stuffs uh you know we were trying to get them harder at the time and i can remember him coming out and saying we're gonna feed flake milo and i said you know i was from iowa we didn't even have milo and i'm thinking flake milo and he said we used to do a mixture of flake milo and barley it would make those lambs just really hard if they were too soft. And so I did a little research, and I said, well, we're going to have to get a bunch of ammonium chloride because that flake Milo is going to be, man, we're talking urinary calculi. So we went to Angelo State University, and they had a ram mix. And so we were mixing our own feed and putting flake bar- barley and flake Milo in there. 
and it, and it worked. It was that was one of the things that that worked really well. So it was just always an interesting time uh, being being there working for him and getting that opportunity. So the way you're describing him and kind of the the timing it happened was it seems like a Texas version of Ritz and Urban, kind of just experimental and kind of ahead of his game and. Right. Kind of had it figured out. Yeah, we had treadmills. We tried backwards, forwards. Uh, probably did them sideways at some point. <laughs> um, we uh, we works. we were doing we were doing all of those kind of things. Feeding on ramps. We we uh, isometrics is what they used to call it. You know, where you push and pull and things to to see uh, muscles. Of course, he was a surgeon, so uh, he could do a tail job. Uh, we did a tail job one time about seven days before San Antonio and it was completely healed and you would have known it happened. Incredible. He did a small little incision and he had this special instrument he got from the ER and he just took like a half a nub off and it was just enough to make that one look, okay. you know, how he needed to look. And he, he kept putting it off. He kept telling me, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And well, it was about seven to 10 days before the show. And I'm like, doc, if we're going to do this, we got to do it. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I mean, bang, we did it. And, and uh, it was he was simply an amazing guy. They they fed they did a lot of success in cattle too, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well. When I first went to work there, Kirk Stairwalt was there. Kirk Rocker was was uh, working with him there. Stairwalt worked for Doc. Yeah, full time. Yeah, was he was doing he was doing. I, I I'm pretty sure he was full time at the time. When I did my internship, Kirk was there. Wow. And then when I went to work for him, it wasn't long after I got there. He decided to move back, you know, home to Oklahoma, and that's when he hired Mark Copas. Yeah. So how long were you at Doc Wisens? Oh, seven, eight years, something like that. Six, six, seven years probably. Six, seven years, I guess it was. Yeah. So did he like let you, you know, have your own little side hustles while you worked for him and kind of get your own stuff going? Or no, no, I, I, I didn't have time to. You know, I was going to school part time. Uh, and, and pretty much, you know, it took me a lot longer to finish school because I was going part-time. I'd either go Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Most of the time I tried to get Tuesday and Thursday classes and driving back and forth. So I was taking, you know, four or six hours is all I was taking, and I only had a two-year degree. So to get that four-year degree, it took me five, I guess five, six years because um, when I quit working for him, uh, he had gotten big into the goats. He had a brother brother-in-law joe riley who uh was a pharmacist and joe was big into the goats and the thing had kind of gotten big that way commercially and i didn't have i i didn't like the angora goats didn't have any you know there wasn't any passion there or that and and but i i was also to the point where i was going to have to go on the block either be do an internship as a county agent or an ag teacher uh, and I wasn't going to go the ag teacher route because my mother was a home ec teacher, and I saw what she went through as a teacher, and I just thought I, I want people that I want people that want to be in my class, so to speak, not ones that are put in there because they think it's an easy grade or whatever. And I think that that's evolved a bunch in FFA. I don't think we have as much of it as we used to that way. But so uh, so I had to go on the block, and so that's when uh, I uh, stopped working for him, and I think he hired. Gary Cramlett then, and Gary ran the magazine, and basically most of Hilton's show career was with Gary then, because Sheffield was done at that point, and so uh, I went on the block, and I did my internship there with Brown County Extension, actually, uh, and uh, got through, um, actually did a few, I was 
kind of doing my side hustle then i guess that's when i was doing things to make a little money i did a little bit of everything i i helped run a pawn shop i worked at a feed store i started raising uh ostrich with the father and with my, my father-in-law at the time yeah jamie raised um emus <laughs> yeah probably so yeah probably so we basically we 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 did pretty i mean it was a good business we we were buying them and raising chicks and selling them as they got older and just basically i i thought it was probably i i i guess in hindsight i was wrong obviously but i thought at least there was an end product there um you know the meat was eaten over in europe and the boots obviously everybody wanted a pair of ostrich boots and so I thought, you know, an emu at the time they were they were pushing the oil, mm-hmm. and the oil thing to me was, uh, you know, they're not going to let you kill a bird in the United States and just get the oil out of it and let the rest of it go somewhere. So, I didn't see that being a, a, a good profitable deal and a commercial deal in the end. You know, it's kind of like miniature donkeys. We don't eat them, so what's going to happen with them when we get our fill of them? And so. Anyway, I was wrong. The ostrich business didn't flourish. There's not a slaughter market for them, and it didn't work. But we did we did fine in them. But I was buying hogs from Jamie Searin and Tim Merrick and a bunch of those guys, bringing them back and selling them here. I had a lot of contacts in Iowa with hogs, and was uh, my kids were showing sheep. That's when um, my uh, uh, stepson Cole started showing in the early '90s. And, uh, you know, he had champion at Fort Worth, reserve at Houston, champion at Houston, had a, a really good run when he was 9 and 10 years old. And uh, then Cade started showing, and then I had my daughter Paige. And so kind of turned that over into uh, my own kids showing. And then uh, – You still working for Brown County? No, 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 I wasn't. I was kind of on my own, and that's when I guess it, I, I got to looking at uh, – how much money I was making and how hard I was working. And I thought it seemed like obviously it's still this way today, but life insurance, I mean, not life insurance, health insurance, excuse me, was just eating us up. You know, the being self-employed and having to pay for health insurance. I was like, there's got to be a better way to do this. You know, Mm -hmm. everything was going to that and few people write you bad checks and things like that. And I thought, you know, I, I went to school to be a county agent. I, I need to look into that. And that's when um, I decided that I wanted to be a county agent and talked to uh, Scott Durham here at this region in St. Angelo and then Charles Neeb out west. And at the time, they had quit doing assistant agents. And the only places that were really opening up were the West Texas places. They were. Um, they were having a hard time getting people to move out west, which I didn't understand except for, you know, it's not the most, they aren't the most beautiful places in the world, but the money was good in those places and the people are golden in those places. And so, uh, so, uh, I applied for several counties out in the West district and, uh, was fortunate enough to get the job at, uh, Glasscock County Garden City. So how long did you stay there for? About eight years. Eight years. About eight years, yeah. What was your favorite part about that job? Was it coaching or helping those kids or it was it was it was all of it. That that was uh there's so much support in Glasscock County, it's just unbelievable. And I, I can't tell you how how great the people were to me and how uh 
it was it was just a fun time. I mean, they loved their livestock showing. Norman Coles had been there, mm-hmm. and Norman had really built up a, a hog program, and then boar goats when he got into the boar goats and and so those people had a passion for for livestock and livestock business um and they weren't afraid to just you know do what they needed to do most of them raised a lot of them and and so it was fun the livestock judging team was huge um norman had started something there with livestock judging one of the great things about it and that I liked about District 6, and I remember they were going to quit taking uh, reasons for intermediates and juniors Mm -hmm. to make the contest go faster. And I said, whoa, 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 no, we don't need to do that. Because we were one of the only districts that were having them give reasons. And uh, I said, I can remember when I was a kid, and I told you the story about never wanting to give reasons. If I'd have been giving them since the time I was in 4-H, I would have never went through that period where I wanted to stop. Now, not every kid loved giving them, and I'm not saying that every kid didn't go out. The other good par- part about Glasgow County was is it they didn't have an FFA program that was for livestock. They had an ag mechanics and things like that. And so I was the only game in town. So they came to me, and I remember when I got the job, it was kind of funny. They had started livestock judging in West Glass, had been raised in Glasscock County, went to Texas Tech and livestock judge. Wes has got a very good eye and knows livestock. Well, he was coaching the livestock judging team. And I can remember uh, a set of parents, and it may have been just one or two, basically sitting down with me, and the jest I got out of the deal is don't screw up our livestock judging team. We care about this. <laughs> yeah, we care about this, and Wes is doing a good job, and, you know, we want to continue this. And, and – uh, I, I, I took it the right way. Yeah, I took it the right way because I knew they didn't know enough about me to know that I had a passion for livestock judging and that it had done some. And I fell in there with Wes and just kind of let Wes do the seniors, and I kind of did the juniors and intermediates. And believe me, we had all them Hoffmans and Holshers and, and all those Botlas and all those young kids. There was juniors. There was juniors and intermediates. There was 30 kids out for livestock judging, and that's small. I mean, there's 1,400 people in the whole – county they're probably all every one of them yeah 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 yeah. Schwartz's in there yeah and and they all their parents had all livestock judge Mm -hmm. or knew something about it or knew the success and they wanted to be successful and so i just kind of the bloodline in this part of the world it does it does yeah yeah and and so wes was coaching the seniors and what was i guess what was unique about it to me is is me and wes we had a lot of the same philosophies and had a lot of the same ideas about how to judge and what we thought was right. And so it, it, the parents were trying to protect it, but in the end it was like, man, this is going to be an easy transition yeah. because if Wes doesn't want to do this, he's been doing the right thing all along and the way I would like to do it. And so it, it worked out really well. So you ended up in, I know you were the extension agent in Tom Green for a little bit too. How, when did you switch to here? Oh, I don't remember the year, Jake. I, I don't. I try not to date myself, and my memory's not that good. But I worked there for eight years, and then I came here. Marvin had been here and got the district job, and uh, it was kind of funny when I first uh, came here to interview. One of the um, <laughs> one of the county commissioners said, uh, "You sure you're going to be able to get along with all those people at Wall?" Well, the funny part about that is, is most of the people in Garden City are related to the ones in oh, Walls. Yeah. 
And I said, yeah, I think I'll be able to get along with them. I said, uh, I can pronounce all their last names now anyway from being out there. And he laughed, and he said, well, I said, well, the only thing I'm going to have to figure out is who's lying. And uh, he said, what are you talking about? I said, well, those people out there in St. Lawrence, they said that they moved out there because these people are a bunch of buttholes and and basically these people out here said they kicked them out because they were buttholes and he looked at me said probably some truth to both of that so (laughs) so but anyway it was it was kind of a joke i had between me and him about the wall and and uh uh garden city st lawrence area and the people competition between the two places you know yeah there there is i would call it friendly family competition uh it was fun being an agent there, it was a little different flavor than when I came to Tom Green County, although the wall wall was very similar. But when you threw out in the, all the other communities, uh, it was kind of like, uh, you know, there at, Tom, at Glasscock County, it was everybody wanted to win the county show. Everybody was very competitive and went after it. But as soon as they were done with the county show, it was like they were – they wanted everybody else – to do good at the majors it was like a big cheering crew you know for everybody else yeah and wall wanted all the wall people to win and you know didn't want christopher great creek or one of them and when they got together they wanted everybody to win also but they also would root for the other communities too because it was tom green county so it was a little different flavor but it was unique so you coached a lot of successful teams at tom green county i know there's there's a lot of those 4-H kids that are still – I mean, there's some that judge majors today. Right. There's quite a few of them, actually, a bunch that still raise a lot of stuff. Yeah, I was fortunate to, you know, be at the right place and right time. I, you know, it's just like going to Glasscock County. You know, Cade Hoffman, Lane Hoffman, uh, Brody. Brody, all those kids were in my deal and, and as younger kids. And, uh, obviously, they had somebody else coach them later. And, obviously, that – mindset of this is what we do in glasscock county and the way that their parents encouraged them and what they did had way more to do than than what i had to do with and i still say that to this day about the kids in tom green county there and there's many kids that aren't judging national shows that had the ability to do it that i got to judge that i got to coach i mean if that's the direction they wanted to take they could be doing it today i mean there's there's nothing holding them back i mean there's there's several of them that I can name that if that's what their passion would have been, they'd be doing the same thing that that Chance Neff, Slayton Struby, um, you know, all those guys, Bryce Mund, all those guys are doing. It's just that those guys chose to take take that path, and, and they all was- had good coaching yeah. before I got there. Uh, you know, Slayton was a senior when I moved here, and obviously Kenny, his dad, was big into livestock, and Marvin Enzer was before I was here, and. And Slayton, and then Frank Hermansmeyer was the ag teacher, and that was different about coming here. But the great thing about Frank is Frank coached like I did too. He was a little more of a hard rear than I was. You know, he was pretty tough on them kids. But we didn't care. As long as those kids were successful, we didn't care if they were FFA or 4-H. And that's the great philosophy Frank had. And Frank would would judge and I wouldn't have a problem with him coaching because I could take him and go right on with him in 4-H and he could get them back and they wouldn't be messed up either yeah. so to working speak together. yeah yeah could working together but way. but you know uh, as I said uh, God's has just been good to me and I've given me enough grace that I was in the right place at the right time with the right families and people and and got to experience what I got to experience and and it's it's like they judged, They asked me to judge Ohio State Fair, and they said Slayton 
was the one who you know recommended me and i said well that's that's probably the biggest one of the biggest compliments i've ever had that a kid that you know i had for a year and helped coach and was one of you know the extraordinary livestock judger obviously um recommended me to judge a show and 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 so i think that it's cool i think what they've given me is as much more than what i've given them mm-hmm. i think it's, it's really special i mean you're being very humble when you say you know you claim the right place at the right time but a lot of these guys it's like a bragging point for them <laughs> you know steve was my coach like they, they love you and, and they give they do give you a lot of credit well and there's to do with there's so many of them i mean there's kids like caleb jackson from Craig Creek, nobody ever heard of. That was such a, I mean, he's a good kid, and he wasn't the best judger I ever had. But by God, he gave it his all every time. And you know, and there's Allison Milliken, and then there's some of those holsters and bottlers over in Garden City. That that's not the direction they took later. I mean, I I hate to even name any of them because I, I feel like I'd be leaving somebody out. But but I was luckily, you know, Clint Hoffman, Bryce Munn, Peyton Wildy, Chance Slayton. Um, they were there. Cooper Newsom at one time was at Tom Green. Gianni. You, have, you just had Cooper. Or you had both. No, I didn't have Connor and and uh, uh, Logan. Logan were were older, and they were at Runnels County. But that's the other. I guess that's the other real cool thing is one year. Well, the year Slayton was a senior, we ended up fourth and didn't go on anywhere. Mm-hmm. And three of the top four teams were from our district. It was Mason, McCullough, and Tom Green County were first, second, and fourth. I can't remember who slipped into third, but uh, we, I believe, had one district, and we just had a not-so-good day at College Station and didn't get there. But I think about, you know, the kids from Mason County, the kids from McCullough County, the kids from Runnels County, that when we went to those state competitions, we we were at the, all the workouts with them. We gained a relationship with them. Um, Brian Bernard judged, is judged a bunch. I can remember going around to places. I remember meeting Brian when he was in, you know, livestock judging and the kids. So it's just really cool to, to watch all those kids, you know, that have a passion for it and decide to go on to college and go to this deal, be successful and, and do a good job. So, and they, those guys, like I said, they brag about it and they're always telling about how cool the stories are. Like I heard, uh, you rented a Hummer. <laughs> <laughs> for like a Louisville contest, can you t- tell us about that? Oh yeah, so uh, the, the the funny part about all that is, is Mike Hancock, me and Mark Clem flew to Mike Hancock's years ago, and uh, we uh, were were looking at sheep, and when we got to the airport, the lady at the deal said, "Well, you're going, we're going to have to do a different car because the car y'all rented is not available." And uh, she said, you can either have a convertible or uh, or, or something else. I can't remember. You know, something that was old manish, I guess. And Not very many options. Mark and me looked at each other and said, well, don't we look like convertible-type guys? And she <laughs> said, okay, well, it's March in Kentucky. Cold. And so we're, we're planning the whole time. We're going When we get there, we're freezing. I think it was even snowing a little bit on the way. I don't think it was when we actually got to his driveway. But So when we got to his driveway, we put that top down, rolled the windows down, put our arms out, and drove up to Mike Hancock's. And Mike just shook his head, and we looked at sheep, and, of course, had a good time. Well, So several years later, I take the team to Louisville, Chance and Peyton and Allison Milliken. Um, we're on the team and Caleb. And so we're in Louisville, and I get we land in the airport, and same thing. They say, rent a car. We don't have – 
a Camry. That's what you rented. Uh, you can either have a Hummer or you can have, you know, an Impala or something. I'm like, well. Not in the Impala. Duh. Yeah. Same price. Give me the Hummer. So I that was the best day I've ever had. Yeah. So, so we're, we're walking out there, and I, I, I kind of planned it. I said, okay, guys. I said, well, I said, uh, we got to rent a car, and it's, it's a Hummer. And they said, no way. I said, oh, yeah, it's a Hummer. And they said, you did not rent a Hummer. And I clicked the little deal, and the lights come on. They jumped up in there and hollered and thought it was the greatest thing. So we pulled up to Mike Hancock's in that Hummer, and he's just shaking his head like, Sturt's only you. So uh, that, was, that was a fun time and a fun story and a, a great trip. Now, the Hummer wasn't very big. We, we were cramped in that thing. There's uh, not very much room in no, this. It no, was, it wasn't one of the big Hummers. It was one of the smaller compact ones, so... I don't know if it was the greatest decision in the end, but I guess if kids are tell, still telling the story, it was a good decision. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and um, Bryce Munn said I needed to ask you about the hotel in Lano on the <laughs> way to the 2005 Roundup. Oh, you didn't give me goodness. any other details, so I have no So that was, that was the year that we took Slayton and Bryce and them, or maybe it was the year after. Actually, it was. It was the year after. It was the second year I was here. And Randall Rakowitz was at Glasscock County and had Cade Hoffman and Lane and and that bunch of livestock judges and we decided we're going to i had some places we could come in san angelo and we're going to go to lano and they uh we we stopped at uh joe barons and at gary jennings and then go from lano on down and meet the bigger group and so i uh <laughs> i don't even know how to how to start this so i i wasn't the most i i guess i was i, I guess i always told those kids we're going to work hard and play hard. Yeah. So so I let them have play time, mm-hmm. probably more so than most coaches. And but, but but when I wanted them to work, I expected them, you know, we're giving reasons, no horse playing, no yeah. grabbing butt business. and doing anything. We're business. So we got done with reasons that night, and they wanted to go downtown or do something or something, this, that, or the other. And I said, as long as you're home and in bed by a certain time, I'm fine with that. Well, Randall – I think he told the Glasscock County kids, no, they're not going anywhere. Well, he didn't know the Glasscock County kids get around my kids, and it wasn't going to be that way. And I had coached (laughs) most of those kids, so they were used to that way. They were used to work hard, play hard. Anyway, long story short, I'm sitting in bed and watching the news or something, and it's getting close to the time they're going to be back, and all of a sudden there's police cars come up, and I'm like, oh, no. This is not going to be good. Well, Randall was really upset, and I was kind of upset. And uh, anyway, we uh, we kind of give them the, the role. Randall was ready to send them home, and I said, uh, you're not going to call their parents this late at night and send them home. We'll handle this, you know, take care of it. So uh, <laughs> the next morning we get up, and there were some other things happened there that I'll just leave out. But um, we're driving and we drive by this uh, restaurant and the billboard sign had been changed. They had rearranged the letters. Uh, Well, I knew right away who had done it. (laughs) There wasn't no kid in Lano that did it. There was no kid. It was either my bunch, Glasscock County bunch, or both. And uh, and so uh, basically... The sign said, I probably shouldn't say this, say but it, it's, it says, uh, pork penis is $5 a pound. <laughs> and 
it's for a restaurant or, or it, it's right on the rest it's a restaurant right there in town <laughs> right on the uh, right on the highway it sounds and like some of 13 i see it and i look out of the corner of my eye and they're all just giggling because they know <laughs> i see it and they also know my personality and and it i can't i'm not gonna get mad at that that's kids having fun and it's yeah it's probably not good but it was funny and sometimes funny trumps being right or being the authoritarian there and so i just i just laughed and said oh gosh you guys something else and and they they tell that story and they did it that year and they did it the next year it was something else they said i can't remember what it was the the year after but uh anyway they they thought that needed to be a tradition that when we went to lano they went out and change the sign so Slayton actually did tell me that part of it I didn't realize it was the same story but he hadn't forgotten it (laughs) how long it's been but yeah yeah it left an impact yeah yeah it was it was fun it was (laughs) those guys were a lot of fun they definitely you changed their lives for sure I mean they still all talk about it in very high regards well they changed mine too so that's great (laughs) they changed mine so the Steve Sturts I know today so I didn't I didn't know you would drink sheep or anything, but the Steve Sturts I know today drives around Texas really fast and breeds everybody's <laughs> goats and collects semen and always has a phone in his ear and is always on the phone and is always doing something. So right. where did you go from county agent to you know selling dogs and, and jumping Well, in, and in 2011, I, uh, I lost my mother to Alzheimer's and I lost my brother two months later to a car accident. And that was the last of my immediate family. Um, you know, I've got cousins still alive. I've got a cousin that farms for me. Um, I lost my last aunt just this year. And so, uh, uh, but, but we're close knit family and and cousins. And then my wife's family now, Bridget's family now is sorry. They're just golden. They're just great people. And they've been uh they've been really good for me and we've got uh we've got a mixed family i've got two sons from previous marriage and uh they're like mine and then a daughter that uh is mine and then she's got three kids so i got six kids i used to often tell people i needed to have a reality show that said you you have them i'll raise them uh And uh, believe me, it would have it would have reveled the the Kardashians. They they'd have been wondering what in the world where these kicks come from. But anyway, um, uh, I, when I lost uh, my family, I was raising some goats, um, and we probably need to back up and go how I got into the goats because that's a, a pretty interesting story. But but I was raising some goats and I was raising my dogs. And I was trying to be a county agent, and all of a sudden, the managing the farmland and my cousin farming it. My brother was an attorney by trade. Me and him had some oil field stuff together. Um, he had a house in Denver. He was part owner in a house in Keystone. We had, uh, my mom had a house here. And for a year, I tried to be a county agent and continue on with my endeavors, and I just felt like I was burning the candle at both ends, believe it or not, even more so than I do today. I mean, I just it was getting me, and I finally just went to my boss and said, listen, I, I love my job and I love the people, but I've got to do something different um, uh, because it, it's just killing me. I can't do them both, and i got to take care of my family stuff. So... That's when I went into uh, 
decided that I was just going to raise goats and do some things on my own, had some rental properties and things like that, and still had the farmland. And but but how I got into the goats was I was here in Tom Green County, and uh, I call him my partner because we're still partners on every buck that he breeds, I breed, and every buck he breeds, I breed both ways. So um, he uh, he had three kids that were showing goats, and they went to Houston and got the cry hole one year. They had bought. They were buying, he was buying his sister and Deborah Schwartz over in Garden City were great friends. And she was kind of slowing down with the weather type deal, still had some purebreds. And her boys at that time weren't interested. Now Galen now is taking over and, and is interested, but at the time they weren't interested in taking over. And so Steve was buying nannies from her and breeding them. And I started saying, hey, I've got a friend over in Brownwood that's got some good billies that we can get semen in AI. So we hired Paul Hamilton to AI and uh, started AI. And I can remember going to his place one day and saying, hey, you need to flush. And he said, what in the heck's flush? Yeah, what's that mean? Yeah, and I said, well, that's where you get all the eggs out of your good ones. He said, well, why do you think I need to do that? And how much is it going to cost? And I said, well, it's costly, but it it pays off and you're, you're there. He said, well, how do you know I'm there? And I said, because when I come out here, I can identify, when I say, what's that one, what's that one, what's that one, it goes back to two doe families, and you've got daughters, granddaughters of those, and it's consistent, and it's been working. When year was this when that happened? That would have been probably 2007, 2008, I can't even remember. So before people were you know, familiar with you know, AI and semen and all that. Right, right, right. I mean, it's just kind of when it started. When Paul Hamilton first started coming over, you know, he'd been over here a year or two and doing it, and we thought we needed to get him. And and so we did an AI with him, and this is another reason that I got into reproductive stuff later is because we had a terrible AI. It was 10%, and it was and not, not Paul's fault. At that time, I was thinking it was Paul's fault, but now that I've done this enough, I've Believe me, I've had some people call me and say, hey, that AI was terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, it, it just happens. You know, oh, the yeah. drugs and things didn't so work or there's so many wrong. factors. And so I, I realize it now. But at the same time, what I saw him doing and what I was trained to do through school and the reproduction classes, I'm like, why am I paying this guy to do this for me? I can do this. And so that's how I got into that. But how I got into the goats was Steve was uh, he had about 10 does that we'd identified one year for him to flush. And he had bred to Z and A of David's. We'd bred to the red tag, the yellow tag. You know, David wasn't too innovative with names back in the day. Um, so so we had bred to all those, and, and we had about 10 does we wanted to flush and uh, that we had on list, but we had about 15 or 16 on the list. And he said, well, I can only afford to do 10, or I, I don't want to pay any more than do 10 because I told him about what it cost. And and so I come home, and I had had some does that I'd put together a little bit here and there that were kind of hodgepodge and just okay. Uh, and I'd AI'd to David's bucks, and I got to looking at the does I was going to flush, and I thought the five that he's not going to flush are better than my top five. Mm-hmm. So I called him up or went over to his house or something, and I just said, hey, what, uh, what would it – cost me to just do your other five to, to just flush them and uh he said you're gonna pay for the bucks you're gonna pay for the flush you're gonna pay for everything i said yeah 
He said, I just want pick of the dough kids, or if we raise a buck, I want to spl- mm-hmm. I will split it. Well, that's the year I did the flush with Green 234, who ended up being the mother to Y and the mother to quit it some more. She's the mother to the doe that raised the reserve at Fort Worth a couple years ago. And so it was Steve's doe mm-hmm. that I started, started with. And that family is still to this day what I've concentrated on it. And that's why I mean Steve have always had the relationship we've had is that he's got my stuff, I've got his stuff, and it both works together and we use each other's bucks. And, you know, if he wants to sell one of his bucks, he usually calls me. If I want to sell one of mine, I call him and we, we just try to work together as best we can. But it was funny because when he got the cry hole in Houston, he came home. And, Steve, when you're a county agent, um, you go to these families and you do visits. And some families you think, I'm going to have to come here every week. Mm-hmm. Steve was one of those guys that when you told him, change this or change that, he didn't just accept that and you'd walk off and go in your pickup and say, I'm going to be back here next week. He would say, why? Mm-hmm. And why are we feeding this? Why are we feeding that? Why are we exercising more? Why do I need to slow this one down? Why do I need to do this, that, or the other? Trying to learn? or Trying to learn. Okay. And so I found out after many years of being a county agent is those were my best feeders. Mm-hmm. Those were the ones that once you taught them, you could go back and just consult with them. Most of the time they just needed you to pat their back and say, yeah, you're making the right decision. Yeah. You know, and, and I can remember having those feeders in Glasscock County too, you know, looking back on it but they got the cry hole at houston and they were on their way back and steve's very competitive he's an old german and and uh he said uh, that sucked didn't it and they said yeah it's basically that sucked and he said well we're either gonna quit this or we're gonna we're gonna get in and do it right and that's when we started doing the ai thing back before the flush deal so uh, both those stories kind of relate to each other somewhat uh because he was He's the reason, basically, I got in it and in it to the degree I am, along with the fact that David Garrett has allowed us to use some of his bucks and and that kind of thing, and and uh, that connection I had from Brownwood and and Galen and them from from years ago, which you most know mostly about because of David's podcast. Yeah. But yeah, they were very they, those David and Galen very uh, very big part of my life in that period between being that assistant agent uh, or, or working as a internship mm-hmm. at Brown County and going to work for extension. Uh, I worked for Galen quite often and helped him quite often and uh, went to Joe Harrell's and Joe Cabinets and all those places with David. And uh, David didn't tell a story about going to Joe Harrell's one time. This was kind of, this was right when David started doing it and they didn't have any blackface sheep at the mm-hmm. time but they were looking for one that would make crosses. And they bought one from Dynamite Farms and one from Wintex. And and they were meaty and thick and this, but they weren't quite as cool looking and they didn't have that cool look. And I told them they needed one from Joe Harrell. And I'd went by Joe's and Joe had a bucky called Outlaw. And Outlaw was a spider. Mm-hmm. And Joe really couldn't use him because he was a spider. Which is why he was kind of more athletic. Or, uh, no, no, he had the spider gene, NS. Yeah. The so, but yeah, he, but, but Joe, Joe knew how much he could breed one of those spiders without getting too many spiders and not having to knock them in the head, and it wasn't worth breeding them anymore. And I guess this one was out there, but we knew breeding him to fine wolves. No that, spider at all. No spider wolves. at all in fine wolves, and the in the crosses are going to slaughter anyway. All and terminal. you you weren't doing anything with the ewe lambs either, and so it was all terminal. So it was kind of like 
hey, this would be the perfect fit. And so I tell Galen and them about it. And, I mean, back that day, I don't remember what it was, 2500 $2, I don't remember what the buck cost, but it was it was cheap for what Joe was getting them at, for him at the time. And uh, Galen said, well, if you think he'll work, I'll try him. So I said, well, I'll go get him next week. And uh, Joe tells this story way better than I do because uh, I don't know how well or you know Joe, but Joe's Joe's pretty matter of fact and just you know takes care of the place and does a good job. But uh, <laughs> I drove up. I realized about three quarters of the way up there that I didn't have a billfold. I didn't have a check. Driver's license. Maybe? I, I probably didn't have a driver's <laughs> license, and that's a was a bad thing for me at the time because I drove real fast at the time. And I get up to Joe's. And I'm going to load this buck, and I don't have a check for him. I don't have enough diesel to get back home. And I don't have enough money to buy supper even that night. And you so, leave in a hurry or something? Yeah, I guess I did. I don't know what. Somebody was chasing me or something. But so so I get to Joe's, and I'm thinking, how am I going to tell Joe? Now, I knew Joe pretty well because all the times that I'd worked for Doc, when I'd make trips from Iowa to Texas, I would stop at Joe Cabinets, Joe Harrells, and Bradley Johnson's. They were all kind of in a line, and those were the, the hot guys with sheep, and that's where I was going to stop. And so uh, <laughs> I thought, how am I going to explain this to Joe, or what am I going to do? And I, and I so I basically just said, Joe, I, I'm, I'm probably going to have to come back and get the buck, but I'm going to need to borrow a little money to get home. <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me and said, what? I said, man, I left. I don't have a billfold. I don't have anything. I don't have a credit card. I don't have nothing on me. I said, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to eat. I don't know how I'm going to get diesel, and I'm going to have to come back and get the buck. He said, oh, no, don't worry about it. You can send me a check. And he gets in his billfold, and I said, he said, what do you need to get home? I said, oh, $100 probably get me home, you know. He said, that ain't enough. And I said, oh, yeah, that's plenty. It's a hundred. He said, here. And he gave me like $300. He said, take this, take the buck, send me a check. And he said, this is going to be a great story for me sometime, for <laughs> me sometime. And it was because later on, I can't remember who it was, came up to me at one of the sales and said, Joe Harrell told me you were the only one he had to pay to leave his place with a buck and didn't pay for the buck. And I said, yeah, that sounds like the story. That's, that's what happened. So anyway. So let's kind of, we could talk all day about. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I thought of 18 stories when I was telling that one about Johnson's and the Fennings and buying sheep for them. And one of the best sheep Sheffield ever showed came from Kansas City from that deal. And we had to put him out on wheat pasture and because <laughs> he was too big and, then had to bring him by. I mean, there's there's hundreds of them. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about goats because I, I, you're really into raising goats, and I, and you know I, I clip for you sometimes, and I always pick your brain about kind of like what you're doing and how you're lining stuff up. And I've noticed it seems like you you care more about improving the livestock and seed stock and and just making them better than you do about winning and selling them for the most money. And, I, and it's something to really look up to and, and admire like you'll keep 10 bucks a year sometimes it seems like and if, if you cut some of those you'd probably whoop everyone's ass but well, why is it you know and I love that about you but why why are you like that compared to the people you think I, or what's the, what's the I, I guess I guess I, I and I don't know I, I guess I've never had it put to me that way and I guess when I look at things I told you about Roger Bottoma and Roger was the hog guy that I went to and Roger, I, I, the big, you know, I learned those valuable lessons about, you know, 
saving and the beans and the and working out in the heat and how his grandpa was or his dad was working just as hard as me and and those but one of the things i learned from him as far as livestock was concerned is roger didn't have any kids to show but they had an open show at the iowa state fair i don't know how many times roger bottom won the barrel show open show at the state fair but he won it plenty mm-hmm. and you know at that time stanley martin and the golden dawn farms was big uh, we were going there for livestock judging stuff. There was, I mean, we were going to lots of places in Iowa that were very successful, and he was winning at that open show. And if he wasn't there, his could smell the one that was. I mean, they were good. And Roger told me something that I'll never forget, and he said, keep your females structurally and skeletally sound and moderate. And... In the hog deal, it's probably even more important because he said they'll hit you on the way up and they'll hit you on the way back. Mm -hmm. And you can always go buy a boar of either extreme and get some of them there. But if you keep your base that way, they'll hit you more times than they will if you're on either extreme. Mm -hmm. And I guess through that, through my fundamental training with Bob Kim, Bob Kim, he he sells Suffolk sheep. Now, there's none of them that can work in the club lamb deal, and he'll tell you that. He knows it. He has the best. He He's done what the dairy cattle people and the beef cattle done, have done with EPDs. Mm-hmm. He he knows. I mean, he gives those dough or those use and utter score. He, I mean, if he's got to trim their feet three times a year instead of two times a year, they're cold. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding, but, that I mean, he, he knows. I mean, there's no – it's about production and it's about having good females mm-hmm. and so him and then roger bottom are doing that and then as i saw working for dr wise one of the things dr wise did is he bought a bunch of ewes from the old hog hubbard thing and they were come out of oregon and they had foot rot unbelievable mm-hmm. and we would trim and foot baths and they were older and they were not very good mothers and not saying anything bad about hog and hubbard because it may have been that they became that way later in life or whatever, but I learned that I didn't want to kid out, lamb out, mess with stuff that yeah. wasn't productive, wasn't good. And so I've always put a bigger emphasis on females, probably more so than males. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I got into the border collie business, I noticed that it, they always mentioned the male. What's that one out of? It's always the male. I had a female border collie named Sissy. And I bred her different ways every time. And somebody asked me one time why I did that. And I said, because I'm going to be the first one that they go to a trial to. And they say, that one's out of sissy instead of out of the male. Mm-hmm. Because if I breed her to different males and she has a good one every time, then that's it's her. It's her. Yeah. And so it's it's always, to me, about the females. And so I keep the bucks because I guess I want to be able to mix and match uh i believe a lot in uh, uncle to niece and aunt to nephew matings um i do a little bit of half brother half sister done very little mother uh to son or uh, father to daughter done very little grandpa to daughter or granddaughter or whatever but i, I always want to have those options and be able to do it and see where i'm at and i want to be able to know that I'm making a good decision based on the fact that I kept something out of them before that has done good and that it has those traits I'm looking for. And so 
and, and I don't, I, I guess back in the county agent days, you know, it's kind of like getting in the picture with the champions. Uh, we've had a lot of luck and we've been very fortunate, but it wasn't about getting in the picture. It was about the relationships. It was about that family getting up there and they did it. I didn't do it. I was just there to help guide them. And so to me, it's the same way with having notoriety at these shows. Yeah, it's nice to be recognized. Yeah, it's good. You you have to have some of it for advertising so people come back and buy. But at the same time, to me, it's it's not completely about that. It's about raising good livestock, feeling good about raising good livestock, and then the relationships you gain through this business, whether it be through livestock judging, whether it be through um, – coaching livestock judging whether it be through raising sheep or goats or hogs but everybody in this or 90 percent of the people in this business are good people and that's why i believe i got into it is because of the people yeah. and i think that's what it's all about it seems just from you know your, your emotions during the podcast your favorite thing about it is is those kids you've met and the fun you guys had and oh yeah and the families i mean I can remember going to Brenham when they had Brenham for hogs, and we were a big hog county in Glasgow County. Uh, and, man, the fun we would have, them parents would party, and we would slide down that hill on pig boards, and we would, oh, we'd have a big time. We we had big barbecues, had big, uh, I mean, it was it was a, a whole lot of fun, and uh, it, it, you can't replicate those relationships. To me, uh, you know, I don't know what else I could have been doing that I would have had that much fun. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. For sure. Well, we've talked about a lot, and, and like I said, we could talk for a long time and, and tell all these stories, but no one wants to listen to a five-hour podcast, No, no, no. I no. would love to sit here. <laughs> no, no, you're good, man. I, 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 I know there's lots more we could tell, and there's probably the side stories after this podcast will be probably really funny because I'm sure that there's going to be people – uh, telling stories that I forgot or that I didn't tell or that maybe I don't even remember. Uh, maybe by choice I don't yeah. remember. But. Well, let, let's after it airs, let's <laughs> let's give it a couple months and let's write it all down and let's do another one. And okay. Let's tell all those stories. That'll be good. You may have to change the, the name because I don't think legend fits me, but <laughs> whatever you want to change it to be fine. There we go. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, Steve. You bet. It's enjoyed it. Thank you, Jake. Well, I hope um, you enjoyed that as much as I did recording it. Uh, there's a lot of emotion in there. There's a lot of, you know, laughter and, and comedy and just really cool stories um sitting down and recording with steve was so much fun i think i laughed almost the whole time and i, I let a few of his old you know like i said earlier his old judging kids know that i was going to record with him and you know just asked him for some stories in between uh slayton struby and chance neff and bryce mund i had quite a few places we could go with it i thought um this just the kind of the way that he coached those kids was just made that a, a an experience for those guys that they they obviously still haven't forgotten and they still absolutely love to talk about. Uh, looking back on you know all those people that he coached you know way back when or helped during his days of being a county agent, there is a pile of stockmen in there and that not only judge major shows today but make their living raising really good stock. And when those guys get to talk about Steve, they're all very very proud that they judged under him and. Those guys have a million good things to say about him, and I love how raw he was the entire time and, and didn't hold back at all, and, and it was one of my favorites to sit down and do. Steve makes an impact on everybody he meets, and he keeps everybody laughing for quite a while. Uh, the guys had an incredible life. 